Howdy folks, one quick thing before we start. Uh, on September 30th, which is this coming Sunday, we are going to do a special episode for International Podcast Day. Andrew and I are going to review It, the movie from 2017, because it was set in the 80s and we both really enjoyed it and want to talk about it. Uh, and we're also going to do a short Q&A, so send us your questions. If you have anything you'd like to know about our show, how we do our schedule, or anything at all, uh, either get in touch with us by email, it's dissectingthe80s at gmail.com. We have a post on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash dissectingthe80s. You could comment there, twitter.com slash dissectthe80s, or leave us a message at 856-D-I-S-S-E-C-T. Any of those will work, but if you have any questions about the show, you want to ask us anything, let us know. We are going to do a short special episode on September 30th. Thanks! Welcome to Dissecting the 80s. I am Trip Lano, one half of the Mega Podcasting Powers. And with me is a boy who struggled to say Hermione Granger until he was eight years old, and one who fully appreciates the film that we are taking on, much like many of you, the Macho Mandrew. Andrew Lano. And I like the implication that Harry Potter was around long enough that it took me eight years to learn how to <laughs> pronounce it. I mean... It started in what, 1997? Uh, seven feels right. Yeah, so you, you so, were so around for, for... A solid three years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go on Twitter and look back uh, our time... Go back on our timeline until you find the video I posted of Andrew opening Christmas presents uh, the year 2000-ish, I think. It's 2000. Yeah, uh, and saying Hermione Granger as wrong as you possibly could say it. It's... Uh, I think it might be, like, penitence for me making fun of moms for saying Mario. Yeah. The universe is like, oh, you thought you pronounced everything correctly? Whoop, I am. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but enough about that. We are here celebrating the 30th anniversary of a movie that is near and dear to a lot of people's hearts. Uh, at least half of this podcast included. The Princess Bride. So you know what that means. We gotta go back. We gotta go dissect the 80s. It's your mowage. Something's got to be done about your mowage. When the mega powers explode. I'm talking about the 80s. Great Scott. Cream of the crop. Oh, 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 yeah. Mega powers, yeah. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. So... I'm going to start with this little bit of silliness. Uh, I ended up watching this movie. This is a serious show trip. Yeah, well. There will be no silliness or whimsy on this podcast. I watched this movie three times this weekend because uh, my girlfriend, who is not a big movie person, was supposed to watch the child's play with me and didn't. And so she was like, oh, what are you doing soon? And I was explaining that we had a hole in our schedule. And she was like, oh, you should do The Princess Bride. Turns out it's the 30th anniversary on the date that we had open. It was just a beautiful bit of coincidence. So I rented the movie and I put the, she wanted to watch the movie. So I put the movie on. She falls asleep like 45 minutes into it. I finished the movie, taking my notes as I do. And then the next day she's like, oh, I really want to finish that can you put it on again? And I was like, yeah, no big deal. So I put it on again as I, you know, farted around on my laptop doing other things. So I was like vaguely aware of it. And then her mom came home from running to the grocery store and was like, oh, I was planning on asking you if we could watch this again because I fell asleep and I wanted to see more of it. So at that point, my girlfriend had finished it. So 
a third time it was queued up that night for her mom to watch another chunk of it until she fell asleep again. So I've seen this movie like a lot over the last couple of days, and I still don't so hate in it. in 48 hours, six of those hours were the Princess Bride? <laughs> uh, it's probably more like four and a half, but yeah. It was honestly, it was less than 48 hours. It was like 24 hours. And of that 20, because <laughs> it was like, you know, eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night that we put it on the first time. And the final viewing ended before that. So in a 24 hour period, four and a half of them were Princess Bride. <laughs> uh, so, but anyway, Not a bad time. yeah, but you, you would think that I would hate it after all that, but I didn't. So I, I think that's a good sign. Um, I also am going to apologize in advance for the Andre the Giant fun facts that we will be peppered into this show. Uh, I have four of them. They will come. I have one, uh, and I assume you're covering it, so oh, I'll, let, I'll let you take it when okay. it gets there. Uh, is it involved this movie? Yes, specifically. Okay. okay. Uh, if I don't get to it, make sure you add it at the end. Uh, let's begin at the beginning, which is Fred Savage, who has supposedly been very sick, although there's a very large bag of Doritos behind his head, which is not the food of the sickly. Yeah, no, that's the food of I'm. I I didn't want to go to school today. Yeah, you don't you don't have a bag of Doritos and then it, when you're sick, that is a good time turned to a bad time food where you eat a lot of them and then you feel like death. Mm-hmm. Your mouth hurts after and you forget that happens till the next time mm-hmm. you eat Doritos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the mom who's in this movie for this one scene and nothing else has the best mullet. Oh, it is great. It is feathery and and flaring out and just spectacular and wonderful. So she goes off to work, leaving Fred Savage in the capable hands of our old friend Peter Falk, who is there to read him a... Uh, I, I mean, it is a bedtime story, but he does not go to sleep. Yeah, it's a... Well, he does by the end. That's true. But it's a long... So like, I, I, a bedtime I story say, is typically it, not two hours it's kind of a it's kind of an x-men situation where the bridge lifted in broad daylight and came down at darkness and no one did anything in between apparently yeah like the idea that he sits and reads this kid a book because it's a bright day yeah it is like it feels like 2 p.m ish well i assumed it was the morning like before like when he was supposed to be going to school oh oh maybe like a ferris bueller situation it's a long story yeah exactly um, and I, I have to say, I'm going to, I'm going to put this on front street. I think Fred Savage is a trademark shitty kid. I can agree with that. I mean, he, I feel like it's the, it's lead kid shitty, which means you learn a lesson and turn it around. Yes. It's not yes. best friend. It's not your kid's best friend shitty who just stays shitty. But like, you know, grandpa's coming over with the story and he's kind of a turd about that. And then he's like a turd about the fact that they're kissing in the book. And I'm just like, you know what, kid? Sh- your grandfather is here. He's bless him. Only got the one eye. He's working his tail off reading you this story with just one eye, which is a challenging thing to do. And f- not for nothing, but like, I think people would pay a good amount of money to have Peter Falk read them bedtime stories. Yes. Yes, they would. I think if he was still alive, there'd be a lucrative podcast called Peter Falk's Bedtime Stories, and it would just be weekly. Or it would just be like com presented by Peter Falk. (laughs) Yeah, but I want it to be bespoke where it's like him in an armchair as the cover image with a pipe, maybe, and a brandy, perhaps. Uh And he just reads you various volumes of literature until you, you put it on, you fall asleep. Yeah, I like that. If there's a Peter Falk impressionist out there, I have a business proposition for you. <laughs> 856-D-I-S-S-E-C-T. Get in touch. 
so we we cut into the story, and and I will say that I appreciate that the framing device of him telling the kid the story is pretty scant because those scenes are way less interesting than the rest of this movie. I think they're I think they're done perfectly for a movie that does have a, a framing device like this. Like it's just enough to remind you that it's going on, and they're they're not frustrating and long. It's like. 10 seconds of like, hang on, wait, what did you just say? Right, right. The only one I really dislike is the one in the middle of the eel scene, because I really love the tension there, and then it all goes away. But I'm assuming that was a, a Yeah, a no, certainly choice. a choice. Yeah, I just, that that was just personal difference in opinion. Yeah, I'm curious, um, I've never read the book this is based on, but I was under the impression that it was written in a similar fashion. Yes. Uh, the book is written and as is the screenplay for this by William Goldman, uh, one of the greatest screenwriters in American history. He, what might we know of his, uh, Oh my God, dude, everything just give top three. I, I like, I couldn't even begin. I'm going to have to pull up the list because like the fact that you don't know who William Goldman is, is really upsetting to me. I'm sure I do. I just, he wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid, all the president's men, the princess bride, obviously, Marathon Man, which he wrote the novel for, uh, Heat, Twins, uncredited. Uh, he wrote the screenplay for Misery. <laughs> uh, uh, really, Chaplin. He was uncredited on Indecent Proposal and Last Action Hero. Uh, what else here? He runs the your gamut. favorite movie, The Ghost in the Darkness. Oh my God, the movie that only we know about, and no one else does. <laughs> yes, uh, and then his final two things were Hearts in Atlantis and Dreamcatcher, which you know, a little little falling off there. But anyway, uh, the novel is written in the same style. It's written uh, as if he uncovered this historic novel and is relaying it to the audience. That's really cool. Yeah. I- I'm because I I would be, I would be curious to read it, knowing that this is how it was translated to the screen. Yeah, I mean it's it's a very. I think this is very true to the way the novel's written. Uh, so we open on well the the novel. He starts reading the story. Do we, we want to commit to novel? Uh, <laughs> I feel like yeah, the story. He starts reading the story. Yeah, uh, the story opens on uh, Dreamboat Carrie Elwes, <laughs> uh, who's I was I forget how handsome he is. You know, here's here's the thing I think that is the problem with Carrie Elwes. He looks too much like an Errol Flynn, like 1940s swashbuckling pirate movie actor. And that's why Mm -hmm. he didn't do more because he's great as this. And then he was a really good Robin Hood and Robin Hood men in tights. But I think he looks too much like that era of actor to be have been mega successful in the 90s. I think so. Well, because he had a resurgence with Saw. Yes. That like brought him back into the spotlight, I think. Right. Well, plus, you know, you're seeing... uh, Wesley cut his own leg off is kind of a dark thing for me. Yeah, right? Yeah. Sorry, spoilers for Saw, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I feel uh, like if you don't know the ending to Saw, I'd like to show you this thick sense. Uh, but I also was thinking, watching this the first time, the little power dynamic that we've got going on here with Buttercup Order and Wesley around is definitely the only way you see that now in movies, a very rich old white man and a young woman, right? Yeah. It's like a little bit of a weird sex game she's played. Yeah. Uh, First Lady Robin Wright. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, who still looks the same. Uh, I check that. I say she looks better now. I don't understand the witchcraft. <laughs> I think she found some like, sort oh. of time portal. I was like, oh, I wonder 
re- I haven't watched it in a minute. So I was like, oh, I wonder how similar she'll look. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's like they filmed it yesterday. Yeah. Uh, it's also weird seeing her as this damsel in distress when 30 years later in Wonder Woman, she's this warrior princess butt kicker who's like shooting a bow and arrow while doing backflips off a horse and stuff. And on House of Cards being a domineering powerhouse. Yeah, I don't watch the program, but I've heard many, many things like that. I have had a friend meet her, actually. She's probably in Baltimore right now. They're filming. I was going to say, probably. So the other thing I noticed, speaking of Carrie Elwes and Robin Hood Men in Tights, this whole movie kind of feels like Robin Hood Men in Tights to me. It feels Mel Brooksy. Yeah. super Mel Brooksy, and I'm happy about it. I I, I fully think that he just watched this and was like, yeah, good enough. I'll just take all the bits of this for a Robin Hood movie. That seems fine. Yeah, this and um, Clue, uh, the movie, yeah, feel like very much like he had a hand in them and was uncredited. Yeah, they certainly have a sort of Brooksian charm. I don't know. I I love his the way I love his comedies. He just gets physical humor and like does just enough lowbrow mixed with really great visual puns that I. It's just beautiful every time. Yeah. Uh, so let's try, let's try to get through some plot of the Princess Bride here. So she is ordering Wesley around, to, you know, clean my stables, do this and that for me, and all he ever says to her is "as you wish." And it's this kind of fantastically shot thing where there clearly is a tension romantically between the two of them, and it keeps building and building and building. But it's only through him saying those three words and her ordering him around, which I, I like very much. Yeah, it's it's really great acting from those two to to build all of that. Yeah, apparently the two um, of them be- pretty much like fell for each other during the making of this movie and were Aww. yeah. Uh, it's kind of adorable. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> largely why this works, but uh, everything I read uh, behind the scenes wise is like and again, who knows how much of this stuff is true, but the allegation was that uh he and her kept screwing up their last scene on purpose cuz they didn't want the movie to be over, which is really kind of sweet. Oh, I don't that, think they like, dated though. Warms my heart. Yeah. Oh, um, but I don't know. I feel like if you explain that conceit just verbally, it sounds weirdly. It sounds weird and a little sexist. What? As you um, wish. The like. Oh, he never actually says as you wish, and it's her giving it. Like she orders him around, and then realizes she's madly in love with him. Like it. It sounds weird. But yeah, that's it, what I'm with, saying. It's normally the other way around. It's normally a rich old the, white dude. Yeah, but with the two of them, it's just there's something magical about it. I'm gonna say good things this whole movie. There's like two negative notes. Yeah, I have yeah. I don't. I don't. Movie. I mean, most of my criticisms are like, or most of the the things I think are silly and fun are like little silly stuff. I, this is a. I, I like I said I watched this movie basically three times in one day, <laughs> and uh, I was surprised how much uh, it held up for me. I hadn't watched it in years and years, and assumed that it was not going to be good. But it's a very lovely movie. It's very charming. It's great. Um, so he has to leave because there's a, he needs to make money. He needs money to wed her. Mm, So he's going to go pirating, right? That's the deal. Well, no, he's just going to go and then he gets pirated. Ah, okay. Uh, I forgot that. You wouldn't steal a Carrie Elvis, would you? (laughs) You wouldn't download a Carrie Elvis, would you? Like, yeah, I would download a Porsche if that was a thing. If I could download a Porsche and not get caught the same way I wouldn't have gotten caught downloading music in 1999, I would have downloaded a Porsche. 100%. That is a bad campaign. Yeah. Uh, So he he heads off, and it turns out that uh, this 
place since it's run by a king. As Mel Brooks would say, it's good to be the king. He gets to just choose a woman to be his bride, and he chooses Robin Wright, who is obviously unhappy about this, given that she's in love with Wesley. So she basically... But Wesley died. Yes. His ship was see, his ship was lay siege by a famous pirate who was known for killing Elle. The Dread Pirate and Roberts. He comes upon the Dread Pirate Roberts. And so she assumes he's dead and just is, you know, bereft. I'll never love again. Sure. And so she starts doing these uh, long horseback rides throughout the day, or excuse me, every day, so that she has something to do to take her mind off this, this major loss in her life. And then one day she meets the trio of Wallace Shawn, Mandy Patinkin, and Andre the Giant. Which I... That just is a dream team. It really is a murder row, isn't it? just is a it? freaking dream team. <laughs> I mean, the fact the, the the beauty of Andre the Giant, who is like perhaps the largest person alive, depending on at the certainly one of the largest people that ever lived. Um, depending on what source you use, he was between six foot eleven and seven foot four, and weighed five hundred pounds. So he's like a like. I, a car basically standing up on its <laughs> on its nose, and then you got Manny. He's Benny the taxi cab from Roger Rabbit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Then you got Manny Patinkin, who is this great swordsman in the movie, and then Wallace Shawn, who is this awesome weaselly shit heel. But he's the leader, and it's so lovely that the two people who are his goons are it's entirely so capable of of beating the living daylights out of him, and then still he's the guy in charge, which is just delicious. I feel like Wallace Shawn hasn't, like, he basically does Toy Stories now. Yeah. Right? Yeah, Is yeah. There, has he done much else? No, I, I, no. I, I like, want him to do more. <laughs> He's so lovely. It, it, I think it's hard. Like, there obviously is no um, lead roles out there for a Wallace Shawn, unfortunately. Well, but yeah. H- how, how good would it be if Wallace Shawn was the mild-mannered neighbor next door who was secretly a murderer. Oh my god, I'm here for that movie. And he's like he's like bacon cookies. He's the head of the neighborhood committee, right? So the new family moves in and they have two kids and a dog and he comes over with a plate of brownies and he's just like, "Welcome to the neighborhood. It's so good to have you here. With this is the date of our of our of our neighborhood watch meeting." And he's like, "Just welcome to the neighborhood." And then and then their cat goes missing and and you're like i'm so here for this movie <laughs> you're like wait how I bought a ticket. how is the cat missing and the little kid the little kid knows right like the little kid is pretty uh-huh. sure that that Wallace Shawn did. Maybe there's a teenager and a, and a little boy, and right. So like, that's how it always is. Yeah, yeah. So the the teenage sister is like got no time for it, but like the twelve year old saw him steal the cat and is just like sure that he did it. Right? He's like rear windowing it with this this little boy, and then uh, from there, you know, you got Wallace Shawn trying to murder this family. I'm. I bought a ticket. I know. Fandango I, that already. I was. I. I hadn't thought that up in advance. I just kind of put that together right now, and I want to see that movie. Somebody I, make that movie. Oh my God, Wallace Shawn! Yeah, that's the role yeah. for him. Absolutely, yeah. I think he would. That would be like the greatest use of the Wallace Shawn to me. I yeah. Yes, please. Anybody want to feel it? That sound you heard right now 
was Andre the Giant asking if anybody wants a peanut, and I don't want a peanut, but what I do want is an Andre the Giant fun fact, and the first Andre the Giant fun fact is this. Uh, during the filming of this movie, it was very cold sometimes, and Robin Wright would walk over to Andre the Giant, who would take his hand, which was like the size of a dinner plate and as thick as you know two people's fists on top of each other, and he would just put his hand on top of her head and hold it there, and it would warm up her head. He was like a little human hat for Robin Wright to warm her up. <laughs> he is a delight. Did he do much acting beyond no, this? Because I just... He, there, I genuinely find him delightful yes he he unfortunately had a real hard time from what i understand learning his lines so uh william goldman wrote the book envisioning him as fezzik and wanted that's awesome wanted him to be in the movie and uh the movie this movie was in development hell for a long long time it was like tossed around a bunch of uh, different companies. And then at one point, William Goldman bought the rights to his own book back because he was so annoyed at how long it was taking. Uh, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger got wind of it and Arnold Schwarzenegger was going to play Fezzik. And then later Arnold got too famous by the time this came out because of Terminator and whatnot and uh, ended up, Andre finally ended up doing it. They, they also tried to get Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to do it, who's a very tall basketball player who was also in the movie Airplane. Uh, but it ended up, it was supposed to be Andre from the from the jump, and it ended up being him, which I think is pretty cool. I feel like Kareem would be a, that the physicality of Kareem being you know just super super tall and not like a wide imposing force would have been really interesting. Yeah, it would have been it would have been pretty cool with Kareem too. But obviously, Andre is just the the dream of the dreams here. Um, He's I just I I want I wanted him, I want him to be I wish he had done a movie where he was like. Like a Boo Radley Frankenstein's monster type, yeah, like a gentle giant. Yeah, it would have been really good. Oh, I want that so bad. Uh, there's a really entertaining interview with Andre on David Letterman that you can find online. I, I watched it today, and it's amazing how uncomfortable he looks being the center of attention on Letterman, and how like shy and awkward he is. And Letterman does a really great job of like getting him to tell stories and kind of prodding at him until he comes out of a shell a little bit. It's a really great clip of both of them, frankly. If, if um, Even if you're not a Letterman fan, it would be worth checking out. But, uh, yeah, he, he did not act uh, beyond this. He apparently also had to have uh, <laughs> Rob Reiner taped all of Andre's lines, and then he just walked around set with a headphones on the whole time. And I really would love I, – I couldn't find a picture, but I would love to see a picture of Andre How the Giant. No photos of <laughs> I want to see Andre the Giant wearing headphones because the size of his head, it just wouldn't be the best thing ever. Like the tiny Walkman headphones with the little the foam? The foam, yeah. And the no. thin wire? Yeah. Exactly. We gushed about Wallace Shawn and uh, Andre. I want to gush about Manny Patinkin for a moment just because I find him... He's wonderful. He was, He's a big musical theater performer. Um, he was in Dead Like Me, which is one of uh, a show we both love. Uh, he was on Homeland. Like, he, he's so good. He's such a great actor, and he pulls you in. Yeah, and it's also interesting that he plays essentially this Italian stereotype in this, and... It's fine. But they call him Spanish? Oh, Sp- I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He plays a Spanish stereotype in this. And despite the fact that I'm pretty sure Manny Patinkin is not Spanish, it seems okay. No. But I think it's because he was doing it. It sounded like an Italian accent. Yeah, he does. He does. He does have a sort of Italian thing going. They were just like, it's fine. We'll call. He'll, he's doing Italian. He's not Spanish. He's a white dude doing Italian accent, calling it Spanish. Sure. Let's yeah. go with it. 
so that's our bad guy trio. Uh, well, uh, bad guy trio for the time being, anyway. Obviously, um, the other thing that I was thinking about watching this movie is it's incredible how rare this kind of story is. There's so few fairy tale stories that are made that aren't like adaptations of Grimm's or you know whatever other fairy tale you know the disney ones obviously exist but it's like we stopped making fairy tale movies in 19 you know 60 something when disney took a took a back seat there and then there was this and then the only other one i could think of is this neil gaiman story called stardust that's very good from like 2006 ish that's it's quite entertaining oh yeah with michelle pfeiffer Uh, i can't remember if she's in it she might be but uh, de niro is in it he plays a pirate she plays a witch Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I highly recommend that. It's uh, if you like Princess Bride, you will also like Stardust. It's very good. It's. I mean, it's technically Cinderella, but there's that, that Drew Barrymore movie where it's Cinderella with no magic. Uh, I don't think I know that one. Angelica Houston's in it. Mm. But I, I guess I guess the genre would be less fairy tale and more like bedtime story, like fantasy story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was that Adam Sandler movie, Bedtime Stories, that was trying to be one of these movies, but, you know, that's an Adam Sandler movie. No, thank you. That was during that time when America thought they were in love with Russell Brand. I I still kind of am. It was a short... short, uh, I was so mad that I was like, wait, when did we stop? When did we decide to love him anymore, and why did he have to go away? I think it was around the time Katy Perry divorced him. They were like, all right. She got tired of him in like three weeks. They're like, we're we're on the same page, Katy. We get it. We get it. Come back, Russell. They kidnap uh, Robin Wright. They kidnap Buttercup and take her on a boat. And then at some point, uh, Robin Wright sees what? Russell Brand would be really good in this if they remade this movie. <laughs> you want them to remake Princess Bride? People are already no. Kidding. I don't want them to. <laughs> I don't tweet, want them to the at all. The tweets are coming they... in fast and furious. I, I'm getting bombarded by the tweets. I Podcaster suggests they remake them. Princess Bride. <laughs> Defo. The subtitle is Defo. Not the first man to say that. <laughs> um, but if they did, I feel like he would be a really good choice for this movie yeah I, I would i mean yes that would be fine he was he it was entertaining in that adam sandler movie he's probably the best part of that and um the get him to the greek he was great god remember that we saw that with mom yup <laughs> we definitely watched a movie wherein a woman sexually assaults a man with a rubber penis sitting on either side of our mother yes we did yay yes we sure did um bad memories anyway so so they, the cast of princess bride is phenomenal <laughs> they kidnap they kidnap robin wright they take her on a boat and then robin wright sees an opportunity to escape and hops off the boat at which point wallace sean starts monologuing about the eels that are in the in the water and we get a really cool eel prop that pops out and is, is swimming practical around eel yeah very cool very scary band looking. name new band name <laughs> practical eels Yes. I think the band called The Eels would be very upset. You have to be like a cover band of The Eels, I think. Yes. The Practical Eels are the cover band. Um, and this is that moment I talked about before where it's like just about to bite her and then it cuts into Fred Savage and Peter Falk. And then, you know, we, we get more of like, do you want me to continue reading the story? Mm-hmm. I think it's it's a cute and it establishes their relationship and... They also those things also show like I like seeing Fred Savage get more and more into it yes. and be afraid to admit it. Yeah, no, I, absolutely, and and I think that is sort of the appeal of Princess Bride, right? Like 
Mm-hmm. Men and women love this movie. It's not like The Notebook where your audience is 90, well, I'm guessing, exaggerating here for effect, but, you know, 80, 90% female. I feel like a lot of dudes love The Princess Bride and aren't ashamed to admit it, which is odd because it's definitely a movie that you would think of as a very feminine movie. This is definitely one. Yeah. I mean, it's called The Princess Bride. Right, right. And he, he, I, I, he, we've talked about this at, at a bunch of our live shows and stuff, but... You know, we talked about foot. We did a live show about Footloose. We did a live show about Dirty Dancing, with the, which are both called like sleepover classics, right? You know, from from this era. And it's weird to me how not adult this one is in comparison to those, and yet is still as right. Beloved. Yeah, because like this is very very family friendly, as opposed to those movies which are secretly about abortion and God knows what with Footloose. <laughs> women beating yeah like it's very strange that this this one snuck in there as charming and wholesome as it is and is still uh, beloved and frankly still holds up uh so yeah so andre knocks out this eel you know wham and then he picks her up with his giant fist and and puts her back in the boat Anybody want to feel it? oh did you did you hear it there, there it is again. I think it's time for Andre the Giant fun fact number two. <clears throat> in 1977, Andre the Giant was wrestling the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, at Madison Square Garden. After the match, the two of them uh, went to a bar where they allegedly drank 100 beers between the two of them. Uh, Andre, who was sitting on two bar stools instead of just one, drank about 75, according to legend. When they went to leave the bar, Dusty couldn't really walk anymore, and Andre didn't like to take taxis because he couldn't fit into them. So he suggested that they steal two hansom cabs, and the pair of them stole horses from drivers who were nearby and raced these horse-drawn carriages through the streets of New York back to their hotel room, ditching the, the, them after 15 blocks and heading into their hotel. Uh, when police caught up with them, they were in the hotel bar drinking again, uh, allegedly brandy uh, in snifters. Is it bad that as soon as you went, he didn't like taking cabs because he didn't fit? My first thought was, oh, he could take a handsome cab. <laughs> That's what he did. Literally, he took a handsome he cab. He took a handsome cab. Um, Andre, uh, this is kind of a downer, but Andre was a big drinker because he was so large and in pain from the disease that he had. He couldn't really take pain medication because of his size, so he drank a lot to counteract that. And because he was so big, he could drink like hundreds hundreds of beers without feeling anything um yeah so uh they get they get on the boat and they land and they start climbing up a rope and there's a really the cliffs fun of insanity yes the cliffs of insanity and there's a really great practical effect of andre with Bandy Patinkin, Wallace Shawn, and uh, Robin Wright all clinging to him, just climbing up the rope like it's no big deal. But Wallace Shawn and he are face-to-face, so they're in absolute kissing proximity. And Wallace Shawn is, like, barking orders and yelling at him, and their noses are practically touching. Wallace Shawn's basically in a papoose yes! on Andre's front. <laughs> That's your new band name, Wallace Shawn and a papoose. <laughs> papoose. Uh, Anybody want to feel it? So here's my fun fact about Andre the Giant. This effect of him carrying everyone and then him carrying Carrie Elwes later are not real. He had back surgery before this, right before this movie was filmed, and so he couldn't actually lift anybody, which I think is hilarious. That like you're like, oh, you know who'll get Andre the Giant? He'll lift everyone. It's cool. <laughs> yep. It's cool, guys. His he's a big lifter, and then he gets his that. He's like, yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> so. It's uh, that's why you never actually see him do anything. 
that's just them standing next to him as they like hold still on the set to do the scene. And then for Carrie Elwes on his back, they said it was a series of ramps and like platforms next to Andre that Carrie Elwes was standing on and leaning on him so that they could like waddle around and make it look like it. Yeah, they also had to use a stunt double for the scene where you see him like on Andre's back and flailing around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the other thing I noticed when watching this, uh, and I'm going to keep saying the other thing as if I have some list here, but I think this movie is responsible for like 40% of internet comments. And I didn't realize yes. how many of them there were until this watch through. But you've got the inconceivable. I do not think that means what you think it means. The never getting involved in a land war in Asia. And then like people will just randomly quote the like, my name is, and they just put their name in for Inigo Montoya. You know, you killed my father, prepare to die. Like, father, prepare to die. It, it is a ridiculous amount. Like I really genuinely believe if someone were to do an inventory of all the internet comments that have ever been left. I think 40% of them are princess Brad references. I think so. And I think That's some of those people guess. don't even know they're referencing the movie, the princess Bride. <laughs> they just think they're <laughs> oh, referencing sure. something clever from the internet. It's that deep ingrained. <laughs> it's a deep cut. The other, um, the other thing that I noticed about this is this has that sort of dream logic that we've been talking a lot about in the, what we talked a lot about in the last season Mm -hmm. with our, our two Savage Steve Allen movies. And it's always been a quality that we kind of dug in, in other things too, but this really has that lovely dream logic, especially in, I I think I step in your feet as you're about to talk about this, but the, the bit where, you know, Carrie Elways is, you know, 10 feet from the top of the, of the mountain. And then Toya is like, all right, hurry up and get here so I can kill you. And instead of just like throwing rocks at him, it's like, no, I have to let you get up here so that we can have this fight. And then they have this like tete-a-tete of like, look, I, I know that you're going to kill me. Why would I let you help me? And then they have to have this little back and forth. And uh, it, it's really a beautiful example of that sort of dream logic that we like so much. See, I didn't see it as dream logic, more of the uh, Mel Brooksy syndrome, where like the movie's gonna g- be silly because it's a wacky comedy in the best way. So uh, I thought more comedy movie logic because it's they get all it up, and um, sh- while I keep wanting to call him Sean Wallace, yeah, it's because Wallace- it's backwards sounding. <laughs> Wallace Shawn cuts the rope and they all look over the ledge and Carrie Elwes is just gripping the the cliffs of insanity like right below them. Yeah. So he's like, Inigo, you kill him. We're going to go ahead. And so Inigo, he just starts like chatting with him. Like, <laughs> it really is just a casual, like over a cup of tea. What are you doing? And he's like, I, it's be much easier if you just didn't talk to me. I didn't have any distractions. Thank you. And he's like, okay, cool. And he's like, can you please hurry it up? It's, I just would like to get this over with. And there's a whole exchange about, I could throw you a rope. No, I don't trust you. He's like, no, no, no. I'll, I'll let you get up here. And then, like, you relax. You get your breath. It's fine. <laughs> then we'll fight. Yeah. The, Carrie always goes for the sword immediately. He's like, oh, no, no. That was that would be no, unfair. No. Sit down. have Take a load off. Get uh, your breath. Fix your boots. Do your thing. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, I'm also a big fan of there's not a lot of money in revenge as a line uh, from an ego. <laughs> Uh, so they have a really awesome sword fight that apparently took it's the better. So good. It took the better part of a week to shoot this. I believe it. I hundred percent believe it. You can. It's. It's. The choreography is great. The stunt, like actual stunt work, is great. The set's cool. It's just awesome. Uh, I was reading about this during the second watch because I, I, since I had this movie on so much, I did more research than I normally do for the show, and I knew we were going to be enjoying this so much that this would be helpful for making this podcast more interesting to people instead of just two fools being like, "Isn't this movie the best?" Um, 
the guy who choreographed this was a big time sword fight choreographer. Did a lot of Errol Flynn movies. Helped with the lightsabers in Star Wars. Very famous for for this. Oh, awesome. They choreographed it, and it was like a minute long, and Rob Reiner was like, it's great, but it needs to be way longer than that. So they had to go back to the drawing board, and that's the point where they added all the steps into the set so that they could do those oh. going up and going down, and then the part where he leaps through the little archway. All that stuff was added to make the fight longer because Rob Reiner wanted it to be the greatest sword fight of all time. Which I think it might be. I, was, I mean, that I know, I don't I don't know any other sword fights I, off the top of my it's, head. It's certainly incredibly entertaining and i feel like a sword fight that wasn't also a little bit comedic would make me pretty bored mm-hmm. so that also wouldn't make sense in this movie well no i just meant in general like I, there may be better sword fights in other movies but for my money i'll take this one because it's thoroughly entertaining yeah so he ends up knocking out a Ninja montoya after the sword fight because he doesn't want to kill him because you know he's not a bad guy and you know there's no reason to do that uh so he oh hang on we, we, we the audience doesn't know it's carrie always yet I, we should mention oh that. yeah well no the audience absolutely should know it's carrie always it is very obviously carrie always underneath that mask I don't know, they gave him a mask and a mustache he had a mustache in the beginning i don't think he did okay but it's obviously his voice i know i know and those but like, piercing eyes the, like get out of here the uh, fact that this is my major quibble with this movie the fact that when eventually and we'll get there in like 10 minutes buttercup and him reunite she doesn't immediately fucking know that it's wesley is the stupidest <laughs> i know there would have been a beauty and the beast moment where she looked in his eyes and was like it is you yeah and then they kissed and ran away yeah the the it's fine because it makes the movie work that she doesn't get it but that is so stupid like this it's that's up on par with superman being disguised by putting on a tie and wearing glasses Although I saw on, on Tumblr, someone was like, I can't recognize half of my coworkers outside of their work uniform. So maybe Superman had the, had the right uh, idea. Maybe. Anyway, so he runs off and now it's time to fight Andre the Giant, who is told to ambush him. But Andre doesn't think that's very sporting. So he throws a rock at Wesley's head, which ex- like at his feet. Yeah. And it explodes. No, it's over his head, I thought. Oh, okay. And it just like shatters yeah. into pieces. And he's like, oh, uh, hello there. And they have a bit of a chat. And then they fight. Uh, uh, not as entertaining as the sword fight, but still pretty fun. It's it's more on the comedic end of the spectrum than the just visually interesting to watch. Yeah. And I think if Andre hadn't been so injured, there probably would be a lot more fun here where he was like throwing Wesley into stuff. And Oh, he would have been picking him up like a rag doll. Yeah. And I think, I think that that is just the nature of Wesley or excuse me, (laughs) the nature of Andre not being (laughs) that well. I can't Wesley. Yeah. The nature of Wesley not being up to snuff. So he puts Andre. I almost imagine it would be like, they were like, Oh, you know, we're going to, we're going to get, um, uh, we're going to get Jackie Chan. And he's going to do this whole, like, karate stuff for the movie. And he goes, shows up and is like, oh, my arm, my feet and my arms are broken. And they're like, well, okay, uh, let's, uh, let's rework it, everybody. I, your analogy is fine. The problem is Jackie Chan wouldn't be stopped by that. I know. I know he wouldn't. But like, <laughs> there is, there me- is literally, there is literally footage you can watch of Jackie Chan did a stunt where he was jumping from a platform onto a boat. And he broke his foot, and 
in the deleted scenes of the movie, you can see him pulling a sock over a cast, and the sock is painted to look like his shoe and his his jeans. And mm-hmm. he pulls the jeans down over the the thing, and then he does the stunt again with a broken leg in a cast. Oh no, I know that. I know Jackie Chan would never be stopped. Um, but like that to me, that's the like. Oh, we're gonna get this dude who's totally known for this awesome physical thing. It's gonna be great. And then like, oh, never mind. The yeah. storyboard again, everyone. Yeah, no, you're. Yeah, it was a good analogy. Uh, so he puts Andre in a sleeper hold and knocks Andre out and tells him to dream of large women, which I d- delightful. Uh, it's wonderful. If Andre hadn't died, I bet he would have played Hagrid. Oh, what? No, he is he British? I mean, who cares? No, J.K. did. I mean, they had to be British to be in the movie. Uh, Andre is French, so yeah, well, she might have let, her, she might have let that one slip. Yeah, she might have let. He certainly, in size, would be the ideal Rubius Hagrid. Yeah. Anybody want to that? That sound you're hearing again is Andre, which means it's time for another Andre fun fact. Uh, this one is the a little bit more about Andre's drinking prowess. Um, Andre drank in one sitting, allegedly a six-hour period. 119 standard 12-ounce bottles of beer, which was enough to make even Andre the Giant pass out drunk. Uh, that is that is more than four cases. It's approaching five cases of beer. Um, his, his friends couldn't move him because he was Andre the Giant, so they left him in the hotel lobby, and they stole the cover off the piano and wrapped it around him like a blanket. And that is where they found Andre the Giant the next morning in the hotel, asleep in the lobby, passed out drunk, wrapped in a blanket. Um, for those of you keeping score My at home, favorite. 119 beers in six hours is a beer every three minutes with no break. He drank 12 ounces of liquid every three minutes for six straight hours. That's just just <laughs> unconscionable. I don't know how. Uh, that brings us to the my favorite scene in the movie. I think uh, the test of wits with battle of wits with Wallace Shawn. So this is uh, some of the most quotable bits of the whole movie. The uh, never get into a battle of wits with a Sicilian. You never get into a land war in Asia, uh, and then the lovely tete a tete French Farsi. You knew that I knew that you knew that I would pick the glass that was in front of you. That kind of stuff uh, when when. He has poisoned both glasses with Iocane powder, unbeknownst to Wallace Shawn. However, I do have one minor quibble with the scene, and that is this. There is a big show of Wallace Shawn being like, look over there, and switching the glasses. Despite the fact that Wesley has said, you choose which glass to drink from, and I will drink the other. He doesn't need to switch glasses at all. He could have just taken the one opposite Wesley. I think it's because he... His next line is, oh, no, you only think I'm dead. Like, he wanted to trick him. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess that's correct. It just seems odd that he was like, uh, okay, pick whatever glass you want, and then he did that thing. I, you think he would, like, what? I don't understand the subterfuge that you're getting at, I guess. I mean, I don't, we, uh, this scene doesn't really, like, you can't look at it too hard or your head hurts. Um, but I think the idea was like, oh, if I go to pick a glass, he's going to make it. He's going to like try and dissuade me if I'm picking the wrong glass. So I'm just going to do it while he's not looking and trick him. Mm, I suppose. But anyway, that's that. That my two quibbles happen back to back. It's that there with Wallace Shawn. And then immediately following that where Robin Wright is like, uh, it, who should immediately after hearing someone fall over dead be like, Wesley, I hope that wasn't you because he's been talking to Wallace Shawn for several minutes. And for God's sake, she would yes, recognize yes. his voice. Yes. 
Um, Instead, they have a big old fight where he like tries to get her to admit that she cheated on him, which is a weird thing that he does. And so I'll, this is a mo- another moment where I'm like, hey, this is a weird thing. <laughs> I don't. This doesn't feel like the Wesley we've come to know. Yeah, it feels like weird, bitter jealousy from Wesley. Again, not for nothing, but she thought you were dead, and you didn't send a letter or a pony or there a was carrier pigeon or a message in a bottle to let her know otherwise. So even if she had moved on, wouldn't that be something you wanted her to do, you flipping dingus? You you died. Yeah. Like, let her do her thing. <laughs> let her not be dead also. That's so stupid. Um, and I was like, just tell her it's you. And then she pushes him down a hill. And he says, <laughs> as you win. <laughs> it's, it's like pigs in space. Yes, it was like pigs in space. Uh, um, we so didn't plan to do that bit down. like that, by the way. I feel very, I feel very simpatico that, you, that we, we timed it up that well together. <laughs> um so she th- she's like oh it's wesley and she throws herself down the hill <laughs> yeah too. it's delightful and the way they both I, I'm, I don't know i'm assuming it's stunt doubles the way they they both fall down the hill is so amazing to watch because it's there's no grace there's no like flow to it it's just like limbs akimbo yeah ass over tea kettle (laughs) it's also like the biggest like the stunt is excellent because it's the biggest possible rolling shape that you could make like normally Mm -hmm. when people fall down a hill it's a lot of like flipping and flopping the two of them almost do like hoop rolling yeah somersaults but yeah that's that's delightful uh and they get to the bottom and they are chased into the forbidden forest forbidden forest did i make the the fire swamp the fire swamp um but isn't it the Forbidden... Is it not the Forbidden Forest? I think it's... Anyway. That's Harry Potter. Yes. But there's the something forest. The I, Because he talks about the trees. Anyway, it's not important. The Dangerous Fire Swamp. Oh, okay. I thought he said something about the trees. Made me think of the... For- anyway. I also watched Harry Potter this weekend. Maybe I'm just getting my, my brains all mush. <laughs> it's all mush up there. This is a late night record to part the, the Komodo. The floor is out of bounds. <laughs> I also had people at work like try to convince me that uh, Ian McKellen played Dumbledore, and I was like, "No, he didn't. Nope. No, he didn't." I was like, "Super never did." Yeah, they were like, "Oh yeah, he was the second Dumbledore." I was like, "No, it's not." And they're like, "Who is it?" I was like, "I don't remember the actor's name, but it's not Ian McKellen. He's very famous looking. Like I would recognize his face. It's not him." You're thinking of Gandalf. Yeah, that's what I said. And they're like, "No, he also played." And I was like, "Gandalf and Dumbledore are different people." Are you implying <laughs> that Sir Ian McKellen played both Gandalf and Dumbledore. It's <laughs> too many. Because at that point. At that point, he's just a money press. Well, apparently he was offered Dumbledore before it went to Michael Gambon. But the guy who played Dumbledore first, whose name I forget, Richard something. Richard. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, uh, Richard Harris? Whatever it was. Mm. The dude who played Dumbledore first and Ian McKellen hated each other. And Ian McKellen was oh. like, I'm not following that guy. Like, I'm not going to do that. Which I thought oh, was awful. I, I could also see it being super petty and being like, oh, yes, <laughs> I will take over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, so we're in the fire swamp, and I really like this. It's very much reminiscent of the movie Labyrinth. Yeah. They they uh, figure out how to time up the fire jets so that they can avoid them only after Robin Wright's dress gets caught on fire. Uh, 
And they very calmly handle it. Yeah. Uh, not Andre the Giant, fun fact. William Goldman was on the set that day and was so enraptured and like taken in by the scene that he was like, somebody help her dress is on fire. And they were like, and no <laughs> shit. <laughs> like, it's a movie, asshole. Yeah, yep. That's exactly how it went. Reset. Yeah, like, God, get another fucking dress in here. Get off the <laughs> set. Like, I delightful. Previously, Carrie Elwes. He said he was the Dread Pirate Roberts. So as they're walking through the fire swamp, she's like, wait a minute. Why did you say that if, you, if you're if you Wesley? And it's very clearly, yes, that did make no sense. But here's an explanation that didn't that comes out of nowhere. <laughs> I, I honestly kind of like the idea of uh, it. it's a title that gets passed along from person to person. And it's not necessarily one guy who is the Dread Pirate Roberts. Oh, I like it, too. But it just comes out of left field. He explains that, and then Robin Wright steps into quicksand, and Wesley has to dive into it Just to save her. Just straight up disappears. <laughs> yeah. It's so amazing. Uh, so he does a swan dive, and he grabs her and, and saves her from that. And then we get the encounter with the rodents of unusual size. How do you think they did the disappearing oh, it's in just, the sand? It would just be a false bottom. I know, but like the the sand doesn't go away, too. Right. There would just be a hole that they'd dive through, like a stage, like a hidey hole. I no, 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 but it's, I'm saying that hole has to be pretty wide, but like the sand doesn't, the sand stays there. Like that's, it's really crazy. You would have just like a layer of foam with a hole cut in it and you'd put the sand up there and then he would jump through the hole in the foam and the sand wouldn't go with him. Hmm. I guess. Like a, tra- like a trap door in a stage. I know what I, thank you. <laughs> I know what a trap door is. <laughs> but just, it's, I don't understand how you don't think it's just a trap door. Because th- then I think all the sand would go away. Like the sand doesn't. Think of Move. it think of it like two foam pads next to each other, and then if you push down through the seam in the pads, only a little bit of sand would go. The rest of it would stay on top. Okay. Yeah. That makes that's sense. That's what I assume. Because um, the rats of unusual size are very clearly people doing a bear crawl. Yes. Yeah, they are. Uh, in fact, one of the people who was acting in this was late to set because he was drinking. I don't know. He may have been drinking with Andre the Giant. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> Uh, it, I mean, it's likely true, but I don't remember that part I'm of the story. I'm on board with that yeah. story. Uh, and he got pulled over, and when he explained, like, I'm really late, I'm supposed to be working on this movie, I'm playing a giant rat, they were like, yeah, okay, buddy, and, like, threw him in jail. <laughs> um, <laughs> but here, here's my other quibble with the movie, and this is one that comes up a lot in stuff we've watched uh, going all the way back to Ghost and perhaps further. Wesley is fighting this thing, and he's losing at yep. one point, and Robin Wright is twiddling her goddamn thumbs. Pick up a rock or a sword or a stick or just kick it. It's but worse stop. than twiddling her thumbs. It's worse for her. She picks up a giant branch and then just stands there. Yeah. She arms uh, herself and then does nothing. Oh, it drives me so crazy. The the I have no broad issue with the idea of damsel in distress in a movie although i think it's obviously misogynistic but even a helpless so you idiot have some trouble <laughs> even a helpless idiot <laughs> there's some trouble with okay. damsel in distress okay. i i <laughs> i acknowledge it as a functional trope as much as i think that trope is stupid but even a damsel in distress should not idly stand there watching while her partner is getting his shit kicked out like go get in there yeah, you picked up a branch. Use it. So anyway, eventually Wesley outsmarts the giant rat and pushes it into a fire and then stabs it a bunch of stabs it too many times, if we're being honest. It's like a little bit yeah. uncomfortable. 
I was waiting for the blood to start coming out towards his face. <laughs> um, and then Humberdink catches them, and Wesley basically trades himself for Robin Wright's life, thinking that like they'll let him go, and she'll marry the dude, and that'll be the end of it. Robin Wright does that. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Um, I was like, he doesn't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robin Wright does that. Um, and then they take Wesley instead to the pit of despair. Which is hidden in a tree. Yeah. Uh, and this is the point where, where... we where we meet the love child of Hodor from Game of Thrones and the albino monk from Da Vinci Code. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of exactly right. And he's like a strange albino servant of Humperdinck and the Six-Fingered Man. It's real weird. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a real weird hand-wavy moment. Humperdinck is the prince, in case we didn't say that earlier, the one who wanted to marry Buttercup. I'm not sure that we ever said his name, but that is his name. Uh, and this, yeah, is, his n- this is the part where we get the turn for the shitty kid, too, right? Who's yes. Fred Savage like gets on board with the story and is like, that's not how this is supposed to go. Mm-hmm. He's like, what do you mean? No, 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 no. So Robin Wright has a well what turns out to be a dream but we don't know that yet uh, just yet where she's walking out to the wedding and this old lady who plays the the woman the old lady character is my like just delightful little bit of casting here where robin wright starts walking out wearing this beautiful dress and the music is swelling and stuff and this old lady's just like you're scum you're the worst thing on earth and robin wright looks so genuinely crushed it's really beautifully shot (laughs) it she reminds me of cloris leachman in history of the world yeah yeah definitely definitely um i i I was surprised that this wasn't the carol kane character just to give her something else to do yeah i would have thought so yeah um but anyway Robin Wright wakes up from this nightmare and is like, look, I don't want to marry you. We got to find Wesley. And he's like, all right, fine. I'll take my four fastest ships. I like that. She said that she was like, he'll definitely go along with this plan. (laughs) It's pretty stupid. I have to say, I was like, wait, hang on. The man that you, who was going to kill him and you (laughs) traded your life with him forever for Carrie Elwes's life is going to help you marry Carrie Elwes now. Right. Yeah. Do we think that through Robin? That's not real smart. Uh, buttercup but he says all right fine i'll take my four fastest ships and you write four letters and we'll send them in all four cardinal directions and we'll eventually catch this guy maybe and then we'll tell him it sounds like they were using like trying to map a road trip in the (laughs) late 80s yeah like i don't know we'll just send some ships in four directions and hope for the best that's kind of all we can do yeah yeah that's i mean that's that's really all that they can do So she she believes this is happening. Uh, meanwhile, cut to Wesley tied to a, a chair or a table, rather, in the pit of despair, hooked up to this weird kind of suction cup. Looks like a milking machine, if I'm being honest. It looks like an ECT machine meets a milking machine. Yeah. Uh, but what this is, does is suck out your life, according to the Six-Fingered Man. See, here's my quibble with this movie. The device, he turns it, he's like, I'll just... I'll turn it on a little low and we'll see what happens to you. And so he does. And it's this Carrie always says as like acting for the back of the house, like the people across the street and it is like super in pain and it's great. And I was like, well, what is it? I don't know what this machine's doing. And then he says he's sucking out his life. And I was like, that feels like mystical, magical. And this machine feels like super medieval technology. Yeah. I like wanted it to either do something real 
or look more magical. Yeah. Like, it, there could have been, like, swirling glitter, bubble, like, something. Yeah, it should have definitely had more magic garbage going on. Some some sort of something. You're exactly right. So, Mandy Patinkin is drunk as a oh. skunk <laughs> in the woods. Uh, there, Go ahead. Did you have something else? Yeah, we, the, we missed the plot point that we find out that the prince, now king, is the one who hired Wallace Shawn to kidnap Buttercup and kill her. Yes, yes. Because he might be an evil king, but he still wants his subjects' support for a war proclamation. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> that was my favorite. He's like, well, he's like, we'll take him to war. I, the people will want war at that point. I, here, here is the thing to, to, to suggest, and again, I hate to be the pedantic asshole, but well, I don't hate that. But uh, the it's hard to rally the troops if they're not on board with the thing in the medieval army. Okay, so fair I think enough. I think there is a little bit of validity to his thing of like, all right, I got to get the people wanting war so that they'll sign up to kill each other. Um, but he declares that there's a rumor that the other evil gang is going to come kill Robin Wright, and so he has one of his men clear the forest of various criminals. And one of them who won't leave is a very drunk Manny Patinkin who's like slurring his words and be like, I'm here for Fezzik. <laughs> and, and just drunk as a skunk. Um, and then Andre shows up and sees this guy and uh, the guy trying to grab Manny Patinkin knocks that guy out and then does a real nice let's make Manny Patinkin sober up thing, which does that weird <laughs> movie thing of like, I don't know why this is a thing in movies, but taking drunk people and just repeatedly dunking them in water is apparently a thing that people think would help. I can tell you that that doesn't no. help anything except makes that a person wet. Yeah, they do that in Back to the Future Three also, where Doc gets like mm-hmm. dunked all the time. It's like who? Why is this the method of sobering him up? I don't know who started that, and let's stop it. Um, but there's a, another, uh, yet another amazing jokey moment where. Uh, Maybe be taking this like there are thirty men, you know, guarding. How many can you handle? And Andre the Giant says, Probably ten. No more than ten. And so Mandy Patinkin like looks at his fingers <laughs> and like counts on his fingers and then goes, That means twenty for me. That's too many people. <laughs> it's delightful. It's so like the delivery and the right like this is so good. We talk a lot about like the movie that we would like to see within the movie. And I don't necessarily want to see this more than the princess pride because I really like this movie, but I would totally watch the adventures of Mandy Patinkin, Wallace, and- Andre and Mandy. <laughs> well, even, even without Wallace, if it's just, if it's just like, like the sequel to this movie, it was just Andre, the giant and, uh, Mandy Patinkin have adventures together. Like I'm there. I'm buying that I, ticket. I would so be there. Yeah. Yeah, like they're sending, like maybe they're sending postcards back to to Wesley and Buttercup, yeah, and that's, that'll be, that's that'll your be narrative the, device. The stinger, the stinger at the yeah. end of the the credits. Yeah, exactly. Um. Anyway, so they have to they find uh, Wesley's body with a really cool little bit of of magic where uh, Mandy calls on his father to help him get to this get into find the pit of despair, and he uses his sword as sort of like a divining rod sort of uh so they get 
they get uh, Wesley and they take him for a miracle cure, which is a really great scene from Billy Crystal and a little bit of Carol Kane where they're it's both wearing... so good. <laughs> uh, it's basically just like Billy Crystal coming in and getting like 10 minutes to improv, which is normally a, like normally that would be a disaster for your movie if you just like threw mm-hmm. in this weird improv scene. But somehow it works here. It's 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 I, I think it's because it's so out of left field, but it still works for the world you're in. It's just delightful yeah. to watch him mug for the camera for ten minutes. Yeah. And then Carol Kane comes out for the last three. Yeah. And they make a miracle cure and they, they feed it to Wesley. Um a chocolate covered miracle cure to help it go down better. Uh and the this revives Wesley, who was not fully dead, only mostly dead. Uh and and the, mostly dead. Yeah, mostly dead. It's very Muppety, <sighs> frankly. The the what we're talking we we keep coming up with different things to call it, but like the overall logic line to the movie is very Muppet like. It's Muppety. Yeah. It's very Muppety, yeah. Because they're like, oh, you have to let, like, we just made it, give it 15 minutes for full potency, yeah. and then he shouldn't eat an hour after it. Yeah, or he go swimming. Swim an hour after yeah. eating it. So the, as they're leaving, they're like, it's never going to work. He needs a miracle. And then they sit down, like, we don't have time, and they feed it to him at the, at the gates, and he, like, is doesn't remember everything. So Mandy Patinkin is like, let me explain. No, takes too long. Let me sum this up. <laughs> yeah, it's... Mwah. Um, so the, this sequence that follows where Wesley is like slowly regaining use of his body. <laughs> He's like boneless. It's the acting job by Carrie Elways is magnificent. Like this is the, probably the only sequence of the movie that I fully watched all three times it was on because I just couldn't get over how good he was, particularly the one, um, I'm jumping ahead here a little bit, but at one point, the six-fingered man is getting away and Manny Patinkin is trying to break down the door. Andre the Giant has Wes, uh, Carrie Elvis by one arm and he's <laughs> hanging like a bag of potatoes with his body just totally limp except for the one arm that Andre is holding and the rest of his body is just dangling. And then when Andre is like, I gotta go help him, he puts him in the arms of a suit of armor and he just like <laughs> hangs there by his armpits. It's so good. Like, it's so wonderful. They like yeah. Andre has them in between them, and they're they're grabbing his head and turning it so that he they can talk to him. <laughs> yeah, they keep like, turning the his head back and forth so that he's facing the right person. <laughs> um, yeah, and he also I don't know how much that affected this part of the movie. I don't know what order the things were shot in, but he broke his foot in a dune buggy accident and then didn't tell anybody because he was afraid of getting fired. So I'm one. Yeah. I, I don't know if they had already done this or if his foot was feeling better by that point. But the idea that he could have been doing all of this with a broken foot is really even better. Oh, for sure. Uh, So Inigo goes after the six finger. Did we explain the six? We just started saying We did. Okay. Uh, Go ahead. And then we got to backtrack and hit some plot points. So you do six finger man and then I'll catch us up. So uh, Inigo, Manny Patinkin, follows a six figured man who killed his father. So that he can finally get his revenge, and he walks in the room and gets wait, stabbed. Wait, 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 wait! wait. This- I thought you were going to explain the whole six figure man. We 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 skipped some parts. Oh, uh, they 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 have a really great sequence where uh, Carrie always is like, "There's not enough time to formulate a plan. If only we had a wheelbarrow." And Manny Patinkin's like, "Actually, we do have a wheelbarrow. We found it in the woods." And Carrie always is so upset that he didn't list it among the assets <laughs> that they had available, which is just. Well. Uh, and then he says, "We need this." This, this midnight cloak and Andre the Giant just pulls it out of the front of his shirt and apparently the Billy Crystal character gave it to him because it fit well. So they use the wheelbarrow and 
set Andre the Giant on fire and use him as yeah. the Dread Pirate Roberts and scare away all the people guarding the door so that they can break in and begin the, the, the heist here. While that's going on, the Humperdinck character and Buttercup are having a quickie wedding, which is led by a guy who speaks with a particular speech impediment that makes his R's W's. So it's marriage is a sacred institution. Uh, So that these two things are happening simultaneously as the siege begins. And then Mandy Patinkin begins to chase the six fingered man who killed his father. Yes. Um, Walks in the room, gets stabbed and it's, it comes out of nowhere. You don't expect it. No. Well, first, Andre the Giant helps him break down the door, which is really great, too, because Andre does it with such... Like, Mania Taken is throwing his entire body at the door, and then Andre the Giant basically breathes on it, and it just, like, crushes down and goes goes open. Uh, Their oh. dynamic is so good. Oh, yeah. That's why I said. The two of them, like, it would have been such a good buddy cop movie. It was like, Andre and Mania Taken have an adventures. Anybody want to feel it? I hear, I hear the sound, which means it's time for another Andre the Giant fun fact. Uh, this is the last one I have, so if it's not the one that you have, be sure to work yours in later. I gave mine already, oh, where okay. he had back surgery. Andre preferred a drink that he called the American. It was a 40-ounce pitcher of various liquors. Uh, this is a quote from Carrie Elways, who said that he would drink several in a single sitting when they would go out. Andre used to take everybody on the crew and cast out drinking until Rob Reiner was like basically begging him to stop because everyone was hungover all the time and Andre was just fine. Carrie um, Elways is trying to get him to like, I think Wesley wears sunglasses in this scene. <laughs> I, think, I think he has to cover his whole face, not just the mask. Uh, but so this is what uh, Elway said about this drink that Andre called the American. I've never tasted airplane fuel, but I imagine it's very close to what that must taste like. It's, re- it's very potent indeed, and I remember coughing a lot. But to Andre, it was like chugging water. <laughs> uh, so, yes, Inigo uh, uh, Montoya, Mandy Patagan, revives himself by chanting his mantra, which we have heard uh, earlier in the movie when he explained it to Carrie Elway's his, his reason for living, which is the, of course, very famous, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. My name is Inigo Montoya. You <laughs> killed my father. father. Prepare to die. Prepare to die. Uh, and he gets all of his strength back. He starts fighting off the six-fingered man, st- like stabbing little pokes in him. He basically, face, like he basically does a wrestler move where you think he's dead, and then he's like, ah ah ah. Andre helped write it. Yeah. <laughs> Andre had just wrestled Hulk Hogan and was like, "Look, let's just take this guy's moves. Nobody knows he's a racist <laughs> yet. It'll be fine. This is what he does. It's all good." Yeah. Um. So he uh, he's like, give me whatever I want. Offer me whatever I want. He's like, I do. Riches. Anything you want at all. And so Manny Patinkin stabs him and says, I want my father back, you son of a bitch. Yeah. And it's the best resolution <laughs> to his story. Yep, it is. It is. It is a very justifiable death. You're grateful that it happens and it feels good. It's, it's just so good, this movie. <laughs> uh, so cut to simultaneously... Wesley is in bed and Buttercup is about to stab herself and he's like, there are very few perfect breasts in the world. It'd be terrible to ruin yours, which is a really, really choice line. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then it's revealed that he still basically can't move, but he's he's still able to, he's able to talk at this point. He somehow got himself into bed. <laughs> I think Andre must have like hucked him there and then run off. Yeah, there's no explanation for that. 
So a Humperdinck comes in and he sees Wesley in bed with a sword on his lap. And Wesley gives this awesome speech of saying, like, we're not going to fight to the death. We're going to fight to the pain because I'm going to horrifically disfigure you and leave you able to hear the screams of people who look at your face and cower in fear. And that's going to be the rest of your life. And you're like, oh, no, is he still... I guess he can't move. And then he gets up. Yeah. And he's like, oh, it's going to happen. He's going to do it. Yeah. But he doesn't. He has him drop his sword and he has Buttercup tie him up. And he's basically like, I beat you. I don't have to do that shit to you now. You just know that you were a coward. You still could, though. You still could, though. (laughs) I I still would. I think the tone of the movie changes a lot if he ties a man to a chair and slowly disfigures him. And performs the end of Freaks. (laughs) Yeah, like, no thank you. If that happened in the fight, maybe, but it is not exactly fair to tie a person. It's basically Saw, is what you're talking about. Maybe that's where they got the idea. Yeah, he was prepping. (laughs) I just, I I always get annoyed that Humperdinck doesn't die. I I think that is... Like, even like a fall out a window death. Yeah, yeah. He deserves he deserves worse than he gets for sure, but you know it's mm-hmm. one of those like Harry Potter things where like the good guys aren't allowed to use real bullets. Yeah, but even like if the t- if he told the kingdom the truth, like there's no like I want I want comeuppance. I agree. And there isn't I agree? That's one of the few spots of the movie that I I I would like that as well. I think it'd be better. Um, but Mandy Patinkin runs in and they have a little bit of a reunion and then. They try to figure out where Andre is, and he's outside with four beautiful white horses. Hello, lady. And waves at Buttercup, which is really great. I, I found four horses. I thought <laughs> if we ever ran into the girl, we could use them to leave. Uh, sorry for my bad Andre impression there. Uh, so she jumps out the window, and Andre catches her, and then the other two guys hop down to get on the horses, and they ride off into the sunset, uh, complete with a big old kiss finish. And then Buttercup's crown is beautiful, by the way. Yeah, no, like you, re- you get a really good shot of it as she gets up to jump out the window into the, Andre's arms. The clothes are like, really oh, beautiful, beautiful too. Yeah, it's it's a a great, <laughs> well produced film. Yeah, uh, and so the final thing is Fred Savage wanting to hear about the kiss and coming all the way around, and then he asks Peter Falk, his grandpa, to come read the story again tomorrow, and he says, "As you wish," which is the only line or scene of this entire movie that was filmed not in england they had to reshoot it at the end so if you notice it's like a really weird close-up of peter falk as he says as you wish it's odd looking oh but that that was like a pickup that they did after they got back but that's it that is uh the princess bride what are your final thoughts freaking great man (laughs) it really is this is one of the easiest recommends we've done on the show i think like easily easily recommended Um, if you've never seen this before you're in yeah. If you've never seen this before, you're in for a real treat. Like it's it's a really fun, delightful movie. I hope we didn't I hope that you turned the podcast off and watched it before we ruin this whole movie for you. Uh well pause the podcast. <laughs> well yeah, I mean Kim you can turn it off. Well, I hope that you've come back to it now and are listening to this after you watched it, but I hope we didn't ruin this movie for you because it's uh, you know, ruin isn't recap the whole thing. Um it's a really great movie. It's it's charming and lovely and sweet and it's a great date movie and it's like perfect for men and women it's just delightful all around delightful there's something for everybody there is and it has andre the giant in it and you can't go wrong with that um my my final andre the giant uh fun fact which is not as fun as the other facts but when he was a kid 
he was too big to ride the school bus. Like he physically couldn't fit on it. And his dad started paying a neighbor who had a pickup truck in wine to drive under at his school. Uh, that neighbor was the poet Samuel Clement. Really? Yep. Samuel Clement huh. drove Andre the Giant to school almost every day. There's a very cool – I'm also going to recommend another thing. There's a very cool biography of Andre the Giant that I read over the summer that's done as a graphic novel. It's stories other people have told about their experiences with Andre. So it covers a little bit of wrestling. It covers a little bit of this movie. It covers My dinner with bit. Andre? <laughs> yes. It is basically My Dinner with Andre, uh, except not at all. But it's it's cool to see – a uh, biography done in that shape because the stories are all told by different people. So instead of there being like awkward narrative tonal shifts, it's done through comic book style. So it's, it's a pretty cool thing. A really quick read, but I highly recommend that to uh, anybody intrigued by Andre the giant. Who's a really fascinating human being who had a very interesting life that was uh, unfortunately cut short due to the disease that made him so unique. We are going to tell you what our next movie is. We're about to start the annual special, Spooktacular for 2017. <laughs> uh, we decided that because this year we did so many horror movies between February and a couple other things in there that we were going to do a slightly different thing. So this year we're doing two horror comedies involving haunted houses. Uh, the first one is High Spirits. And that will come to you in two weeks on October the ninth uh there are five mondays in october but unfortunately only two spooktacular episodes from us uh before we let you go though just a couple quick housekeeping things as always thank you so much for listening we really genuinely appreciate it we are now in our fourth year of doing this podcast which is a crazy thing to say and be true and we would not be doing it if there weren't people listening so thank you to every one of you who listens to our show if you, Thank you. Yes, sincerely, and we are very grateful for that. Uh, but we would ask one thing, and that is please, one, if you like the show, tell two friends about it. And two, please leave us a review on iTunes. I know you're sick of hearing about it, but it makes a big difference to us, and we really, really appreciate it. Um, thanks for getting in touch with us. A lot of people have been reaching out lately, which has been really nice and flattering. If you'd like to do that, uh, it's on Twitter at dissect the 80s and uh, on facebook and instagram at dissecting the 80s please make sure to go on one of those social media channels and check out the incredibly talented steve becker a friend of mine i commissioned him to do a sketch of andrew and myself for our anniversary and it is like the coolest friggin' thing that i have ever seen uh it is us as 80s wrestlers like big cartoon bulky buff 80s wrestlers <laughs> being interviewed by none other than the man the myth the legend mean gene okerland it is one of the coolest things i've ever seen and really came out beyond my expectations frankly uh super super cool uh, super super fun uh, that's up on all of the different channels please go check that out it's very very cool uh the little little anniversary gift i had commissioned for the show uh the leather anniversary so of course we're holding leather title belts in the picture uh you can also get a hold of us by calling 856 d-i-s-s-e-c-t and if you leave your name and where you're calling from we may play that on the air Last but most certainly not least, and I'm repeating this from earlier, if you like the show, tell two friends. Podcasts are the best pyramid scheme in the world because they don't cost anything. All we want you to do is share the message with people who might like it. So if you like our show, please tell your friends who also might like our show. Happy anniversary to the Princess Bride, 30 years. 
is a wonderful thing. We will be back in two weeks. Thank you so much for listening. I have been Trip Lano. I will always be Andrew Lano. Until next time. Don't you forget about me. Dissecting the 80s is a chum some of this production. Things we're going to cut out in editing. <laughs> so you know what that means. Wait, oh, wait. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> we just like, talked about this. No, I didn't forget. I was like, how does it start? What's my line?